Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking to you again about the Kingdom of God. And we started a series about rules for life, rules for the Kingdom, rules for eternal life. Maybe they would call it that. But uh, we're looking in great depth into not only the uh, spiritual and the metaphysical side of the Kingdom of God, but the actual process of seeking the Kingdom of God and His righteousness. We want to... And there is something that is blocking us from the salvation of Christ. Christ did his part, but we have not yet repented, which means to think differently. We are still thinking much the way the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots were thinking, and even some of the Essenes were thinking. And we need to alter our thinking, which is what repentance is, thinking differently. And we also have to diligently, striving, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Christ will fill in the gaps. He will meet us part way, probably more than halfway. And that is why he told us to seek the kingdom of God. A lot of people will say, well, you just have to accept Jesus as your personal savior and you're automatically saved. Sounds great. You know, like, just go out and get the vaccination and you will be safe from COVID. <laughs> Might sound great, but it may not be true. You may be safe from COVID because it's not very dangerous anyway. But you may not be safe from the, the so-called vaccine, the shot. That may may cause all kinds of repercussions, which we will have to see. I've told you, I've written articles about it, I've questioned top scientists in the United States, I've read this, the studies that they never tell you about on the news, and I've made those available, so you can actually go to the website, and they will show you. And I've also now gone to the fact checkers who try to say, well, no, it's not going to cause infertility. Of course, they didn't say it was going to cause infertility, it said it was going to affect the tissue in the placenta, which will cause miscarriages and stillbirths, which it is already doing to the numbers of hundreds of them. We have at least, uh, was it 48 that have been reported on their own by the women, and they estimate that that reporting outfit that receives that, uh, what's it called, VERS, it it is only usually about 1% of the actual cases. So if 1% is the actual cases, 480 cases is more likely what we have already. I can actually name you people that had miscarriages within days. Nobody who is pregnant ever wants to become pregnant or ever wants to father a child or donate sperm should get this shot. Nobody should probably be around anybody who gets this shot because they can shed the literally the virus that was injected into him. What is a virus? A virus is an exosome replicated by the human body that the human body should not be replicating and therefore will cause a cytokine cytokine reaction in your body and you will become sick or show some ill effect. That's what we call a virus. It's an envelope of RNA 
covered with protein spikes. That's what they're injecting in you, except for it's a synthetic RNA and protein spikes that they manufactured, and it's never been ever approved for humans. It hasn't really been approved for humans yet, but because they claim there is an emergency, they're giving this shot out. It may be the most dangerous thing that has happened in the world in recorded history. And everybody's just running down to get it. <laughs> no animal testing. No adequate years and years of testing. What are you thinking? Well, you're not thinking. So some of you don't have much to repent because you're not thinking anyway, so it's not about thinking differently. You have to, it's actually about starting to think. <laughs> so we're going to give you some of those tools to think with so that you can find out what it is that everybody seems to be missing. Because they certainly seem to be missing a great deal. So we talked this morning uh, about uh, what metaphysics is, which is it's a branch of philosophy uh, that examines the fundamental nature of reality, including the relationship between the mind and matter. Because, you know, what the mind thinks about matter matters. <laughs> that, it, what the mind thinks is not matter. It is metaphysical. It is not observable. The results of it might be ob- observable, but it, your thoughts are not really observable. And it comes from a Greek word, which we've gone over. But I also brought up another new term, uh, nomology. And I said that the kingdom of God is a pneumological network. And what does that mean? Well, we know the kingdom of God is a network. It was a network, you know, it was supposed to be a network under Moses where the tens, hundreds, and thousands gathered together to take care of one another. Even provide, you know, like Jethro suggested, take those tens, hundreds, and thousands and provide an appeals court so that you can try matters and everything doesn't fall on uh, the shoulders of Moses or some central leader. You're decentralizing the court system. But allowing a place where you can appeal up to the 48 Levite cities uh, for remedy if you get convicted wrongly in your local community. And we have articles up which go look at preparing you. And eventually we'll transfer them over to hisholychurch.org in PDF format or some format. But basically, those appeals courts were the cities of refuge. And there were 48 cities of refuge. And there are 48 contiguous states in the United States. So if we were all networking, we could have those 48 cities of refuge in all 48 states. But in order to do that, in order to get to that point, you have to sit down the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And you should be doing that already because Christ commanded his disciples to make the people organize in that fashion. Thankfully, the first century church did do that and they were able to survive the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Now, Hitler tried to create another Reich, another empire. That failed. And evidently, Klaus Schwab is trying for a a, a fifth uh, Roman Empire with his Great Reset. And, of course, it will collapse too. So, if you want to survive the collapse of Klaus Schwab's and Prince Charles's and Bill Gates's 
and uh, George Soros's empire, <laughs> which they are uh, cobbling together rather quickly now, uh, thanks to the so-called pandemic, uh, you, never, you need to sit down the tens, hundreds, and thousands and gather together in the name of Christ. Not the fake Christ that are often preached in the churches that are workers of iniquity, but the real Christ that most of people are not aware of. Now, everybody knows something about Christ, but unless you know everything about Christ, know Christ himself, not just an emotional knowing of some image of Christ that is created by somebody's catechism or theology, but actually know the anointing yourself, well, then you haven't put on the full armor of God. And you may not be nearly as protected as you think. So anyway, the kingdom of God was this nomological uh, network, which is, has to do with laws and principles, laws or principles, governing the operation of the mind, how you think. So right away, how you think is important because you have to think like Christ. And if you're not thinking like Christ, you're in need of repentance. And Christ thought it was essential that you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and actually strive, persevere in the process of pure religion, which is the taking care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity, like John the Baptist said, like Abraham said, like Moses said, through free will offerings. And if you're not doing that, how can you tell me you're following Christ? You're not. You absolutely need to be doing that to be following Christ. If you're just following an image of Christ created in your mind by workers of iniquity and by brutish pastors, well, then you're kind of on your own. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, we made a little mention of the term grounding, which is has to do with this uh, idea of... Uh, uh, a distinctively metaphysical kind of determination. Because, again, metaphysical is not physical. You can't put it under a test tube or anything. And nomological networks are networks based on relationships. Um, it, it is it has to do with constructs relating to other constructs. Now, what's a construct? Well, it's like skills and abilities. And uh, there's another word that they use. There's several different forms of it. But it's it's things you cannot see. But you can see the evidence. of you have a skill, I can't see the skill. I can see the evidence of that skill. When, you know, if you have a skill in carving and you carve something, I can look at the carving and say, yeah, this guy's good at carving. But when I just look at you, I can't, I can't see that you're good at carving. I have to see the evidence of that. So those are constructs, those skills and abilities and, and ways of thinking. I can't see that, but I can see the evidence of it. Of course, James tells you that faith without works is dead, not because you need to work in order for faith to exist, but if faith exists, you will work, and you will work in a certain way, and we will see the evidence of your faith in what you do. So if you're not doing what Christ commanded, like sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you're either ignorant, or you don't really have faith. If you're not living by faith, hope, and charity, you don't really have faith. If you're living by force and fear and compelled offerings, 
if you're taking a bite out of one another like you're, you know, forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, you're not a Christian. You need to change your thinking because that's coveting your neighbor's goods and covetous practices in the New Testament, uh, Peter said, would make you merchandise. It would even curse your children. So that all being said, we know we've got to go another way. So anyway, that brings us down to where I left off, or pretty close to where I left off, and uh, which was the 12 rules of life that uh, Jordan Peterson talks about. And we said we were going to use that as a springboard to take a look at the kingdom. And one of the things that we were expressing in the kingdom, and in creation itself, because the kingdom is within, we aren't given dominion over all heaven and earth. Christ has that. But Christ just appointed a kingdom to us and left so that we would learn to function. It's like your kids. You know, you give your kids a chore. Like you're supposed to stack all this wood. And you can start out and start showing them how to stack. But eventually you want him to do it so he accomplishes it on his own. And of course that's why Christ had to leave. So that we would manage a kingdom so that, you know, we would be you know, be faithful to the righteous mammon of the kingdom so that we may be prepared for more righteous habitations. So anyway, we, we talked about the one of the first rules is, you know, stand up straight and, and you know, you're supposed to be seeking this life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, but it cannot be happiness just for you. It has to be, you know, like Albert Einstein said, from the standpoint of daily life, However, there is one thing we do know, that we are here for the sake of each other. Above all, for those upon whose smile and well-being our own happiness depends. And also for the countless unknown souls with whose fate we are connected by a bond, and he says, of sympathy. You know, the singularity of loving your neighbor as yourself, including your enemies. So, I mean, he's really touching on the constructs of the kingdom of heaven. See how I use that word, that construct, which is the skill, the ability to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your enemy, even love your enemy. That's a skill. That's an ability. Now, how how can you love your enemy? You will not be able to do it unless you forgive your enemy. If you still want to judge your enemy and, and blame things on your enemy and accuse your enemy, you're not going to love your enemy. Now, honestly, to love your enemy may include telling him where he's been a bad monkey. <laughs> Bearing witness to him where he is going wrong. But you cannot do it from a point of view of judgment. You have to do it from a point of view of love and forgiveness. You forgive him so that God can judge him. There's no double jeopardy in the kingdom of God. If you're going to judge him, then God's not going to judge him. Because you can't judge him twice. Either God's going to be the judge or you're going to be the judge. Now you can discern that he's doing a bad thing and you can tell him that he's doing a bad thing and you can... Go, have nothing to do with him because he's doing lots of bad things. But those are your choices. 
if you want to judge him, be careful that you <laughs> do not create the precedent to be judged. Because you probably don't walk on water either. And so the, another term I wanted to bring up is this ontological shock, which is the state of being forced to question one's worldview. A lot of people aren't questioning the worldview. The worldview comes to them through the media, and then they believe, you know, like they're saved because they said the magic words, or that if I get the, you know, the COVID shot, then I won't get COVID, and I will be healthier, you know. And, you know, if people start dying, and people are unable to carry children full term, and there are thousands of miscarriages, and that news starts getting out, you might be forced to question your worldview if those people who gather together as Christ commanded begin to show the fruits of Christ, then you also might be compelled to be forced to question your worldview of Christianity. So anyway, back to the 12 rules, and we're just going to run through them really quick. The first one is stand up straight. You know, it's kind of take responsibility, but, but this, you know, the, the reality of and responsibility of life on your shoulders and carry your own weight. And then we, we talked a lot about, you know, love and, and how important love is. Like in John 4, 12, no man hath seen God. At any time. You don't see God because you study catechism. Religion is not what you think about God. That's not, that's not seeing God. That's just studying something, which is fine, but don't think you're gonna know God. You can study forever and never know God. It isn't about studying. You know, forever learning, never coming to a knowledge of truth, of God, of the character of God. Lot, lots of people study, and we talked about that guy this morning. Uh, what was it uh, that uh, you know talked about the the menu is not the meal? Alan Watts. Yeah, that's that's really important because you study your catechism, you go to church, you you genuflect, you you say your prayers, you sing your songs, you read the Bible, but the Bible is the menu. It's not the meal. The meal comes to you by way of the Holy Spirit. And it lists us where it will. So you want to make sure you, you your head is not full of junk food and delusions. You want to make sure your heart is not full of emotions and imagining that those emotions are the Holy Spirit. You You... You want to be filled with the actual Holy Spirit, which is not an emotional thing. And a lot of people don't get that. They, they, they think, oh, I had this, we had this great meeting and everybody, we were singing and, and, uh, and things were just, we were just so overcome by the Holy Spirit. No, you were overcome by emotion. You've stimulated. I, I saw this in the seminary. I saw myself doing it, trying to replicate the, the feelings that come from group prayer. But those were feelings generated by endorphins and chemical releases in your mind. It wasn't really the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit listeth where it wills and is just not an emotional experience. There may be sometimes 
You know, the most common emotion I see in the presence of the Holy Spirit is weeping. That's right, weeping. Hopefully not gnashing of teeth. That's another aspect of weeping. You want to be weeping like, uh, you know, Mary who washed the feet of Jesus Christ with her tears. She wasn't weeping and gnashing of teeth. She was weeping and submitting to the authority of Christ. And because of that, she was blessed by the power of Christ. That's where you want to be. And that's a, that's a humble position. It isn't, you know, jumping around and, and saying how much you praise God and, and getting all excited and creating an emotional feeling that you replicate by going to more meetings with more people. No, that isn't, that isn't the Holy Spirit. Do not be deceived. Do not let anybody deceive you that that is. So, number two in his list was uh, treat yourself like your responsibility you're responsible for you first, but also for your family and for your loved ones. But that responsibility must flow to the needs of others and not merely your family. To those people like uh, uh, Einstein was saying, those people you don't even know. You know, you have to be ready to cast your bread upon the waters. The, uh, for the not only for those you know who will smile back at you and bless you, but those you don't know, those unknown souls with whose fate we are connected by a bond of, well, I'll say singularity, uh, by the bond of the fact that we are all created by one Father. Now there comes a time where the foolish virgins don't get in. And the the Pharisees who rejected Christ don't get in. But God decides that, not us. We will love everybody and let God sort them out. So, anyway, then I was going to talk to you a little bit about uh, the nature of uh, fraternity and brotherhood. And, uh, you know, by its nature, fraternity includes at least those things in our personal list of what we perceive as brotherhood. Uh, by vanity, we exclude some of the items that God may include. And so, therefore, we do not include those items on our personal list because... We don't see them because we don't want to see them for whatever reason. The truth by nature, by the nature of the idea of truth, must be inclusive of the entire list of attributes of brotherhood. And a lot of people don't do that. As a matter of fact, the ones who don't do that hardly at all are the people who are always talking about inclusivity. <laughs> They are, they are the ones who are more likely to censor you. But yet, by the same token, they will tell you that they're censoring you because they are inclusive. <laughs> Quite the paradox. So anyway, you have to treat others as you would want to be treated by them. Uh, the nature of God is to nurture. And the nurture of God is found in nature. That's why there's so much life on this planet. Uh, 
the nature of nature is defined by the spirit that dwells within the nature of an entity. So, do you have the spirit of Christ? Do you come to serve? Are you going to forgive? Are you here to give life or to take life away? Do you go to church for what you can get or what you can give? And so you have to have this this spirit. You have to make room in your heart for this spirit. And that spirit, by its nature, like Christ, who sacrificed himself, will spend the life you've been given to give life to others. That's why the family is what it is. I mean, if you're going to be a mother and a father you're, and you're going to work at it, you're going to be giving up your life for somebody else, for these children who may or may not take care of you when you're older. And so you're casting your bread upon your children. But, of course, then you, we have to take that one step far farther where we're casting our bread upon the waters in hopes that it will come back to us, you know, to take care of those unknown souls. Uh, righteousness is greater than self because it is more than self. That That's very important. That We need to think of more than just ourself because that's the selfish way to look at things is just to take care of yourself. So his third thing in this list, and we'll go on kind of quicker now, just because you're getting the idea. He says, make friends with people who want the best for you. Well, one of the things that is critical to that is you need to want the best for others, including your enemy, because that's what that's the nature of love. Love cares. Love does no harm. And so, yeah, you want to make friends with people who want the best for you, but really, you want to make friends with people so that you can want the best for them. Because as you judge, so shall you be judged. So in order to accomplish that thing that he put on his list, you have to want the same thing for others. Now, like I said, what may be best for somebody is you're going to have to say, you need to stop taking drugs. Or you need to get a job. Or you need to take care of your family. Or you need to stop drinking. You know, but, and they may not want to hear that. And people say, well, I don't, I don't, I didn't want to confront them. I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, upset them because I love them. No, no. If you're not telling them the truth, you don't love them. You, you just don't want the discomfort that comes sometimes with telling the truth. And so everybody that's in our network, uh, which is hopefully the network of Christ, should be cultivating the power to tell the truth and we'll get into that more because you want to give truth to others for God to give truth to you. So number four is compare your present with your past. Are you getting better or are you getting worse? There was a guy who we knew that got hired by somebody to do a lot of this work and grunt work and and I said, well, how's the guy doing? Because I knew the guy. And he says, well, you have to pound a stake in the ground to see if he's moving. <laughs> so, evidently he wasn't doing that good. But pounding that stake in the ground is to measure how far the guy is getting. So, you may have to pound some stakes in the ground, you know, have a diary. You know, take a look at what you're actually getting done. 
don't imagine. Yeah, I, I was having a little discussion with a kid on Facebook. I didn't know he was a kid at first, but later on I found out he was. And I found out because I said, how old are you? And, you know, he said 16. And uh, I don't think he's much older than 16, uh, barely 16. I said, because I was actually thinking you were more like 14 or 15, the way you've been acting. But uh, then he says that I'm snarking at him. No, I'm telling you what you act like. <laughs> That's what I see. I'm not just snarking. I'm telling you, you act, you're acting immature. But anyway, because I'm going to tell him what I, I thought. It's, you know, it's it's not snarking. It's... It's telling, I'm telling you what I'm seeing. <laughs> so, <laughs> because I have nothing to gain from it. But anyway, uh, so you want to compare your present to your past. Because you want that retrospection of who you are and where you're going. He goes on in number five, don't let your children do what you would not like. You know, if you don't think your children should do something, you should put your foot down and say, no, I don't think you should do that. But then you have to compare also, why are you saying that? Wonder about it, ponder about it. All these rules are to help you change the way you think by changing the way you relate to others. And some of that relating to others is that construct that you will see in the pneumological network that is the kingdom. And we'll get into that when we get into his second book, which I haven't read yet. It's out. But I listened to several videos and he talked about the different chapters. So I have a pretty good idea. And he's had all his rules from way back. And uh, again, I'm just using his rules, his thoughts, to bounce off of, use it as a lever to deal with the truth of the kingdom. And he says in number seven, pursue meaningfulness. Uh, see uh, the rule for, uh, I was trying to think, oh yeah, it must be rule four in more rules, because that's something that comes up again in a little bit different words. But this meaningfulness uh, is what gives us a sense of purpose, uh, a sense of value, is because we, if we, are valuable to others. Like if you're in a job, if you want promotions in your job, you make yourself invaluable at work. Where you also have to be honest so that people know that, well, we can trust this guy. He is very careful about being honest. Which is number eight, which is to tell the truth. And of course, we already covered that in the, the earlier show in part one, is that if you don't tell the truth... You will be pulled into darkness. Because you got light and you got less than light, which we call darkness. You got truth, you got less than truth, which we call a lie. And so you don't want to be drawn into that darkness by telling a lie because when you lie, you die. You you die to the world where you hadn't lied yet. And now you dwell in the world, in the realm where you have lied. Because you never tell a lie to anybody that you have not already told to yourself. So, number nine says, assume that people have something to teach, something to offer, something of value. If you want to find value in your own life, you have to assume that there is value in another life. You have to value everybody's life, even your enemy's life. Because 
and, and it, it is a great exercise in the process of repenting and awakening. So, one of the things that makes it easier to assume that people have something to teach or some value is you have to walk in forgiveness. Because if somebody's your enemy, you think he's worthless and you don't want to have anything to do with him. But no, you have to have that forgiveness so that you can realize that, that you know, he may have value. And you may not even know where it is, but you have to be looking for it. And you cannot look for it. It blocks the mind if you won't forgive him. So that that's one of the reasons why you gather together. One of the chief reasons you gather together is to practice forgiveness. I, I've seen so many people say, well, I don't want to go there anymore because he said something. No, you have to practice forgiveness. Well, in his rule uh, 10, he says, be precise. Well, of course, telling the truth is precise. But uh, a lot of lies are simply by omission. You you weren't quite precise. You know, you can say, did did you get there on time? And he says, yeah, I got there in time. It's not the time I was supposed to get there, but it was in time enough. Well, that's not precise. You want to be precise. And you, you want to make an effort to be precise. So number 11 was, do not bother children. Well, you know, children can be can test your patience. And uh, they can be demanding. And, uh, you know, like uh, obnoxious teenagers. (laughs) You you need to forgive them their youth and their youthful exuberance, like the the guy on Facebook. I mean, he's he's constantly trying to call name and pick a fight and all this stuff. I I forgive him. But I may call him out on it because it's not doing him any good. So, anyway, you have that. So, you do not bother children. You do not take away their liberties. You want to add more and more liberties onto it because that's where they learn responsibility. And his final rule is to pet a cat. And you can go listen to his audio book or read his book. And petting a cat is, you know, cat a very independent creature. But to pet it is to impart pleasure to others which you probably won't get anything significant back from the cat. (laughs) But uh, you need to be able to take care of animals. But if you really want to progress closer and closer to the kingdom, you have to learn to take care of people. Because people often require more forgiveness than animals. So that's those are some important things to understand in his first book. But we're going to look at the second book. And we're halfway through the show, and we probably won't get all the way through it. Uh, but the second book is, like I said, 12 More Rules for Life. <laughs> Not very imaginative, but it actually has a, a dual title. And the first title, uh, you know, was, uh, uh, what was that? Uh, an Antidote for Chaos. But the second one is is not the antidote for chaos, but beyond order. And that's why I talked so much this morning, and you'll just have to go back and listen to the other recordings, where order and chaos are not quite the same as light and darkness. But there is a similarity in that comparison. Chaos does not create chaos in order. Order is order. 
order will flow into chaos and bring the presence of order the same as the light will flow into a dark room and bring light into that dark room. Now, say you had a really dark uh, warehouse with no windows and the whole warehouse was dark and you go in with a little tiny flashlight. It doesn't light up the entire, you know, by the time that light gets all the way across the warehouse, it's not much light. But if you go into a closet with the same light, it can light up the whole closet or, you know, a small room, 10 by 10 or 12 by 12 room. It can really light up that room. But in a giant warehouse, not so much. But that idea of the quantity of light that you bring into darkness, it it doesn't diminish because there is a bigger room. It's just required to reach more places and therefore doesn't seem to light the entire, you know, room up. So, with that, we're understanding that this idea of order coming, flowing into chaos, I talked a great deal this morning about that, that the reason there is this chaos, this vacuum, this darkness, is so that light has some place to shine, so that order has some place to go. So that life can come where there was no life. And of course, the way the world is going now, I think that we will have a huge die-off and a huge suffering. We're already seeing more people suffering from the COVID lockdowns than from COVID itself. And this may just simply become exponential if the theories about the injection are true. But the reality is, is that you have certain choices in this life to go a particular way. And so he has these 12 more rules for that life. And so we want to see exactly how that comes to be. So these these 12 more rules talks about order and the consequences of order and the consequences of not having order. Because there, we live in this cause and effect universe. He seems to equate order with things functioning as we expected. So, if Hitler's invasion of France and eventually England really worked well, I guess you could call that order. Because it operated as he expected. expected. But all the people in England didn't expect that. So, from their point of view, his order is chaos. <laughs> it's not so order and chaos are somewhat relative the same as light and darkness are somewhat relative somebody who's used to the darkness they are not overwhelmed by an extremely dark place because maybe they have much better eyes in the dark but uh, people who don't see well in the dark they may need a lot more light in order to see the room as lit see their life as lit so anyway uh, he goes on and also talks about uh, if you build a bridge and it works it functions as a bridge that's order you know we figured if we use these beams and these bolts and this concrete we would make a bridge and it would stand it stands we say that's order but what 
it can get more complicated than that. If you build a bridge with twice as much steel than you needed to build a safe and strong bridge, if you build a bridge with twice as much concrete than you needed, you will have a strong bridge. But there is a consequence of overbuilding the bridge. One consequence is the fact that uh, you don't have as much materials to build another bridge. Another consequence, and I talked about this before, is that uh, they were putting in a, an overpass on a particular Highway 31. Actually, I think it was over Highway 97. And uh, they started building up the the embankments and, you know, so that they were going to build this cement bridge from one side of the highway to the other so that the traffic didn't have to stop and people could get over the highway. Well, they built one part and then they were going to let it settle out and then they were going to build the other part. And uh, when they came back to do it, the surveyors were checking everything and they said, wait a minute, this settled way more than we thought. And so they did another core sample and they found out that several hundred feet below this overpass is the remains of an ancient lake. And when they built all this massive dirt piling up to make this overpass, it's actually sinking. If they built that overpass there, you know, based on their second studies, that it would eventually sink and crack and fail. And so they had to scrap the whole project because there was so much weight in it. And I thought... Later, I haven't talked to the people who are responsible for it, but what if you made that overpass, not out of that massive amount of dirt, but literally as a bridge, like an arching bridge, where the first part of it arches up and then takes the person over and down the other side. Then you're not... Now you have this almost movable structure that... uh, is suspending over the terrain rather than putting all the weight through this earthen mass in one place. Could could that be done? I'm not an engineer, but an engineer can figure that out. So the idea, though, that you just simply build the bridge and it works as a bridge, the fact is you may deplete your resources so you can't do something else. Now, if you bring this down to the level of your own life, you know, like you, you're going to have three kids or four kids and and then you don't have any kids for a couple of years and then you get a better job and you have another kid and and you can afford it because you spread them out. This is why women don't have litters. <laughs> they spread them out because if they had, you know, too many people had quintuplets, they would be worn ragged. You know, we had a lot of uh, twin births this year uh, with the sheep. Uh, but we actually had quadruplets and quintuplets and, uh, no, actually no quintuplets this year, just quadruplets and, and triplets. A number of triplets. And, um, that's difficult. It, it wears on the sheep. If they had that every year. Also, some of the triplets were rather small because they were growing several lambs inside them instead of just two. And so, yeah, things, are not designed to work that way and the complexity of that is very important to understand. But anyway, I'm getting too far off. The point is there's consequences 
And order is not always just because it works now. It has to work over time. It has to work over conditions. And to to build things, to make things, you have to consider tomorrow as well as today. Now, you can't foresee all that, but God can. And if you're being led by the Holy Spirit, He will say, you have to move to this God-forsaken desert and live there and eke out a living there. And you say, but it is so hard here. And He says, trust me, it's a good idea. And you do it, and then later on, long after you obeyed, then God shows you why it was important. He didn't show you at first. But this is the nature of the kingdom, is that God will tell you to do things and you will wonder why. How do you know it's God? People are always asking me that. Is it a still small voice or is it all tied up in emotion and excitement? And Well, his voice is a still small voice. It's not going to pressure you. It's going to... This is why you have to learn to be attuned to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, I I can tell you that I see evidence of that a great deal of the time in Jordan Peterson's life where he listened to something, was willing to change the way he thought about something because something in him said, it doesn't work that way. It, It just doesn't. And he didn't necessarily know why, but he was willing to change. He was willing to try something different. Now, he still has blind spots. We all have blind spots. And it's gotten him into trouble. But you can turn those difficulties into a blessing with that power of the Holy Spirit. But you have to learn to tell the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he made a comment that he was hoping that the maybe the vaccine will work and things can get back to normal. No, the reason things got, you know, where people panicked worldwide because of a non-epidemic pandemic that was killing almost nobody, they did this fake statistics about all the deaths. Yeah, a lot of people died, but they didn't die from COVID. Most of them didn't even die with COVID because there's no way to tell whether or not you have COVID, certainly not with a PCR test. So, understanding that, The shutdown is going to kill more. How were we so vulnerable to this nonsense? How did they get the whole world wearing masks and covering their face and isolating themselves from their elderly? And, you know, I know people who's, they haven't visited their mother who's in her 90s hauling in her own firewood. Now we visit her, we haul in her firewood. We were over there the other day chopping wood, chop about two or three cords of wood. For her, we we normally do it much earlier, but we wanted to empty out her woodshed because it had really old wood in the back. So we had the wood piled there, but we waited till we had it cleared out so we can stack this newer wood all the way to the back and we get that old stuff burned up. We do this all on our own. Meanwhile, her grandkids don't come to visit her. Her daughter doesn't come to visit her. Uh, her son barely shows up. Why is that? Uh, that It shouldn't be that way. But that's in the way that people think today, that is the way it goes. And this, the, but people don't think, they don't realize how much harm they're really doing. 
They don't realize how much harm they're getting into. They can't see it because they are looking through a glass dimly. Some of them aren't even looking. They have scales on their eyes and they cannot see what's going on. Which is why we talk about it. This, you know, we, we talk about it to show how to point out in this in a way that people can see that, yeah, people are being suckered and duped and manipulated and they're doing more harm than good. You know, like the studies that just came out in the last few days, again, that everywhere they had mask mandates, people were sick more often. A larger percentage of people got seriously ill. Where they did not have mask mandates, people got sick less. And I can go and tell you why that is. It's it's perfectly logical. It's what you would expect if you understand what's going on. But so many people do not understand what's going on. They want, yeah, they say, well, we have to follow the science. Well, if you're listening to Fauci, you're not following the science because he doesn't do anything about following the science. He's following the agenda. <laughs> the uh, the reset. So anyway, back to these uh, 12 rules. That, that was an interview. I, one of the things I listened to is an interview with David Rubin and uh, Jordan Peterson. They're pretty good friends and they travel a lot together. And it was interesting and he covered part of the book in that. So I took some notes on that. Uh, the, the energy that ex- is expended to produce or maintain order may cost us more than the chaos we are trying to keep at bay. And that, of course, is the shutdown. That's going to cost us more. Wearing the mask, people get more sick if you mandate masks than they do if you don't mandate masks. That's across the board. All the data that came in, that is the data. Even accounting for density of population, it still came in that... If they mandate masks, more people will get sick. They were they were discovering this months and months ago in New York. People who stayed in their homes, didn't go out, wore masks everywhere. They were the ones who were ending up in the hospital. And there's an absolutely logical reason why that is. But I'm not going to tell you. But I'm, the data is there. And if you want to join the network, ask me for it and I'll send you the data. So anyway, his 12 rules for life, this antidote for chaos, was trying to help us prevent too much chaos. The same as hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin can prevent too much of a cytokine reaction that will make you so sick that you cannot recover fast enough from, you know, a flu virus like COVID, which will affect certain cells in your lungs. So you slow down that process and your body is given more time to recover. If the process is too quick, your body can't recover. And of course, if this vaccine actually interferes with the type 2 uh, system, you know, of your white blood cell system, uh, if it interferes with that, so those type 2 don't come into play, then the type 1 may run away and literally attack your own body and you will have lots and lots of people dying with the next flu that comes along. We'll see. 
that's the prediction of a lot of people. We'll see if it happens. Now, the human body is amazing that we may overcome this and, and their attempts to devastate the world population may fall asunder. But I, I know hundreds of people, infants, are already dying in the womb. Other people have died and they say, oh, it's insignificant. Well, they're not counting them. They're avoiding counting them. You don't know how many people have died and got sick. So anyway, he goes on to, to talk about this drive to eliminate chaos can exhaust us to the point where we become actually more ill than we would have if we, if we just allowed the chaos to take place. Uh, so too much order may be dangerous in the same way with that bridge. If you spend too much money on the bridge, you won't have time to make the road. I mean, the wall, uh, the Chinese, you know, wall the, that goes all across China. The wall of China. They lost so many people, spent so much money building it, they didn't have enough people and money to defend it. And uh, so it wasn't necessary. You know, it held them at bay for a while, but eventually... You know, they, it, it's just an unbelievable task and, and was somewhat unwarranted. There was a better way to do it, like I was pointing out in some of the Greek city-states where they were offering them to build the wall to protect them in the city-states. The people said, we are the wall. The, the bonds that they had in that city-state where they would fight ferociously to protect their home and their neighbor and people just didn't mess with them. And they survived the Peloponnesian Wars not in the debt that they would have been had they borrowed money from Athens to build a wall. So, that the fact is those city-states, individual city-states, were pneumological networks. And the skills and abilities they had to be those walls protected those city-states from foreign invasion. If they cared about the next city-state as much as they cared about their own, then they could have united as a whole nation of Greece. No central authority, just united and defeated the enemy. And I give you examples in the Bible where that actually took place, which is Abraham. Abraham built altars, which are actually social structures, not piles of stone. We explain that if you go read the articles that are preparing you on altars you would understand what they were really doing with those altars. But he built these altars, which were social structures where people shared through free will offerings what they had with those that were in need and strengthened their society through those systems of social welfare through charity. Because they had that, and he built those for all the people round about him, when an army came through, it was actually five armies that came through and defeating cities, states like Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham was able to amass an army overnight that destroyed that other army immediately because they had had these invisible bonds. You didn't see a country. You... You saw a people, but you didn't see a, you know, a central country, you know, with a leader or a king or something like that. And understanding that, that's why I wrote a whole book, The Kingdom Come. That's why I've written pamphlets, articles explaining what those altars were. They weren't piles of stones. They were gathering of men. 
same word for a gathering of men is the same word for a pile of stone. And the men they gathered were these Levites, uh, eventually with Moses, but before that they, they did something similar. And actually you can even go back farther and farther and see how that all worked together. But anyway, we're completely out of time and I didn't get very far, but Anyway, we'll, well actually I did get through those 12 rules, but now we'll do the 12 more rules. We got a place to start. And we're really going to take a look at the kingdom, but we'll do that in episode 3. Until then, peace on your house, join the network, start learning what they have not told you, and then, and until then, all I can tell you is peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. And maybe try to get on the community call tomorrow and I'll try to be there too. And if you have questions, I'll try to answer. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.